Okay. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 26th of November. It's a new week of Money Talk on Radio 3 with me, Peter Lewis. Covid cases in mainland China have hit a fresh record high for the fourth consecutive day. And protests against China's zero Covid policy have spread across the country. Health authorities reported 39,506 new Covid-19 infections on Sunday for November the 26th. Beijing reported 4,307 new instances. That's an increase of 66% from the previous day. Some of China's key cities have come to a virtual standstill. Namur estimates that more than 30% of the country's GDP will be under lockdown within the next couple of weeks, while sequential economic growth in the fourth quarter will plummet into negative territory as a result. China's industrial profits have declined as the number of COVID cases have surged. Industrial profits in the January to October period fell 3% from a year earlier. Data from the National Bureau of Statistics showed Sunday, uh, compared with a decline of 2.3% in the first nine months. And the People's Bank of China on Friday said it would cut the reserve requirement ratio for the country's commercial banks by 25 basis points, freeing up 500 billion yuan or 70 billion US dollars of long-term liquidity to help boost the economy. The reduction is effective from December the 5th. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management and Sam Favre at Mandarin Capital with a view from mainland China is Ben Cavender from the China Market Research Group. On Wall Street's Friday, stocks were mixed in a half-day session at the end of the Thanksgiving week holiday. The S&P 500 was virtually unchanged at 4,026. For the week, it gained 1.5%. The Dow rose for the third consecutive day, adding 153 points, or 0.4%, to 34,347 taking its gains for the holiday-shortened week to 1.8%. The Nasdaq, that slipped half a percent to 11,226. The tech-heavy index lagged to the other two indices, but was still up 0.7% over the week. The Pan-European Stock 600 index rose 1.7% over the week to a three-month high, and the regional index has risen more than 15% now since its late September low. The UK's FTSE 100 was up 1.4% over the five sessions. Hong Kong stocks recorded their first weekly loss of the month as COVID cases surged in the mainland. The Hang Seng Index fell 87 points Friday, that's half a percent, to 17,574. For the week, the benchmark lost 2.3%. And the Tech Index fell 2.3%, taking its losses for the week to 6.5%. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.4% on the day and 0.1% for the week. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil slid over 4% over the week on concerns that soaring COVID cases in China would reduce demand. It settled at $83.47 a barrel and copper dropped 0.6%. Gold was flat on the week and starts trading this morning at $1,751 an ounce. 
The US 10-year Treasury bond yield was unchanged on the day, but down 14 basis points over the week at 3.69%. And the US dollar fell for the fifth week out of the last six to a three-month low. The euro this morning at $1.35. The Japanese yen weakened to 139.39 against the dollar. The British pound is at a three-month high against the dollar of $1.20.50 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 42 cents. Offshore yuan is down half a percent this morning as protests against China's zero-COVID policy spread across the country. This morning, it's at 7.19 and a half versus the dollar. And cryptocurrencies, they were quiet last week. Bitcoin is down around 1% over the last seven days, trading right now at $16,400. Asian stock markets are opening in the red this morning. The SX200 right now uh, is off about half a percent in Australia. Uh, The Nikkei 225 in Japan down a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea, that's off almost 1%. And it looks like quite a sharp decline for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Futures markets pointed to a loss of about 370 points when trading gets going. Time's just gone 8.08. Let's welcome our guests over in our Queensway studio this morning. We have, as always, on a Monday morning, Alex Wong, director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management Company. Morning to you, Alex. Good morning, Peter. And also with us, Sam Favreau, Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning, Sam. Good morning, Peter. Now, as you heard there earlier, COVID cases in mainland China um, have hit a fresh record high for the fourth consecutive day, and they seem to be surging um, across the country. This is quite a dramatic turn of events, isn't it? Because we were hoping... Um, that there was going to be an easing of, uh, of lockdown restrictions, of the zero COVID um, restrictions. We seem to be going the other way at the moment. So does this change now at all the outlook for, for the Chinese economy? Well, I think uh, the long-term outlook remains unchanged because the uh, easing of the COVID restriction would not be in short term. I think uh, people do not expect uh, them to release, uh, relax uh, all the restrictions uh, within... Uh, a few weeks. Uh, so I think uh, this does not change the long term outlook, but in the short term, I think it hurt the sentiment. Uh, because right now, it seems the situation is, uh, is, uh, is going quite wild. So I think uh, this would hurt the sentiment. Well, I think it has actually changed the situation because, on one side, before you had some kind of visibility on the policy and uh, suddenly you had a bit of double noise by the, uh, by the government. So it brought some kind of hope and some kind of, um, I would think, vision of the future. And then suddenly you have uh, really the, the, the double problems that you have now a circulating virus and you have uh, a series of lockdowns, which is going to put a lot more, a lot more uh, breaks on the economy compared to what we have before. So, and more importantly, now you have also social unrest, which is not purely economics. So mm. this could drag on a lot longer than just a purely lockdown effect, which basically shut the economic activity for, for a certain amount of time. So I actually a bit more pessimistic on this one. Do you think um, it's going to force the authorities to have a second think about this and about how long this zero COVID policy, which is really now unique in the world, isn't it? How long it can continue? I think it's a bit difficult in China because I would, I would think the population is quite polarized between people who actually completely adhere to the zero COVID policy after two years of uh, policy implementation and official um, 
official push for this policy. And people on the other side have been extremely hit by this uh, policy. So I'm not sure how they can really react, but they will, they definitely will have to start publicly addressing the situation. Well, we are seeing an impact in the markets this morning. The yuan is weakening in offshore markets. Uh, the Hang Seng looks like it's going to open close to about 400 points um, lower. I, we don't like to take too short-term a view um, on this, but you know, it was looking at one stage, things were looking quite positive um, for Chinese stocks. Do you think going into next year, um, you, are you still positive, Alex, about China? I think uh, we will not be too positive uh, in the long term because uh, uh, the, the, the only big change probably would be on the COVID uh, policies. Uh, other things uh, like uh, the restrictions on uh, big tax and the recovery in the in the property market probably may not change too much. So the positive factors actually are fairly limited. Mm. So I think the upside uh, would not be too huge. Uh, but uh, the COVID situation actually would still be a variable because this can change uh, uh, quite fast. Uh, I, I would be a um, little bit uh, conservative towards investing in China still because uh, right now, um, if you look at the, the macro economy, the, the property market actually would still be bad. I mean, that's the big concern, isn't it? That there are some long-term um, structural problems. You mentioned one of them. Uh, the property market, um, but also there are others. I mean, things like China's demographics, China's population has stopped expanding now. Um, and you can't really um, have a policy of mass immigration into a country as large as China. So uh, are these things going to weigh on the economy in the longer term and, and change the outlook? Well, I think the biggest problem is China is facing is eventually it's going to be debt, because as you mentioned, you have a decreasing working population and a decreasing proportion to actually generate generate growth so they have mm. to grow and uh, you know the more you have those structural issues which prevent growth then you will have a long-term long-term problem so in terms of uh, you know um, prospect for the stock market I think a lot has been priced in uh, in terms of bad news now what hasn't been priced in is a potentially credit crisis news which it's possible at some point. And sure. where would that occur? Is that going to occur first in among property developers? Is, are there, is that the weak link? I don't think so. I think the property developers is still a private sector and they will have the means to support the most, uh, the most important one, creating potential additional moral hazard. I think the real issue will be at the local governments. Right, because they can't raise money anymore, can they, for, by selling land and, um, and, and raising money from, from property developers. So how, and then we've already seen um, some of the local governments are basically saying they can't afford uh, the cost of this zero COVID policy. Well, they, they, they can't necessarily raise money, plus they still have to follow policy, which they don't definitely have the means to do. So that's where I think the real problem is. Mm. We, we had a member of the PBOC's Monetary Policy Committee last week say he was quite um, co confident that uh, the market, uh, that the economy would grow 5% next year. Do you think that's achievable? That, I think it would be quite difficult, uh, given the, 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 the variables right now. So I think um, that, that is quite not quite difficult because... because um, Given the COVID policy, actually many manufacturers would like to diversify their base. So that is another factor which is China is facing. 
What about the impact of this uh, triple R cut? The People's Bank of China on Friday said it will cut the reserve requirement ratio for the country's commercial banks by 25 basis points. That frees up about 500 billion yuan, 70 billion US dollars of long-term liquidity to try and help um, boost the economy. And it comes after the State Council said that monetary tools will be used in a timely and appropriate manner. Um, but the PBOC did at the same time say it wasn't going to engage in flood-like stimulus. So what will be the impact of this? Will it provide much help to the economy? This is a drop in the, in the ocean uh, at this stage because obviously uh, money supply needs to be transmitted. And at the moment you're in a situation where the economy is stopped or really slowed by other, by other means. So um, it's really going to have very, very little impact. It's monetary, it's monetary to work needs to have an economy where transmission is happening. At the moment, you've got domestic demand on hold, you've got foreign demand reassessing. So it's very, very difficult for the uh, monetary policy to be, uh, to be efficient. Alex, what, what sort of strikes me about this is it seems to me that it doesn't really address the problem because the problem is there isn't, that there isn't enough cheap credit for people to borrow. There's plenty of credit around, isn't there? It's just that people and businesses don't want to borrow at the moment. Yeah, uh, but uh, they have uh, some targeted uh, actions towards the property sector already. So yes, here and we have already seen uh, many positive reactions in the market on that sector last week. So we have uh, a strong recovery in property developers' uh, share price and also some relief rally in certain names um, that. So um, they are doing some things uh, on targeted sector, but I think in general for some small business or for manufacturers, the problem actually is is it going. Does this help or encourage banks to lend more to the real estate sector, this triple R cut? Yes, but I think the market will perceive that the risk is being transferred to the banking system. Mm. They're taking on more debt, in effect. Mm. We, we have seen, as you mentioned, I mean, the Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index is up about 35% this month. So there has been an enormous reaction to this 20-point plan that the authorities um, announced to try and support the sector. Um, but is the reality um, in, in line with what we're seeing in the markets? Is this going to make a huge difference to the property sector? It, it does on the supply side. Uh, you will have some property developers surviving midterm. Now, again, the problem of the economy in China and real estate included at the moment is the demand mm. because you had this uh, oversupply, which has been ongoing, and you're going to have this uh, long-term decreasing demand just because of demographics. So this is a fundamental problem. And when you have oversupply in a sector like this, it takes years to, uh, to uh, adjust. So in a word, yes, this is going to smoothen the, the problems across the midterms, but you're not going to address the uh, oversupply uh, long term. Alex, if, if we look forward, um, we're, we're moving into the next year now, into, into 2023. What do you think are going to be the sort of the big market themes next year uh, for investors into China? Uh, I think uh, we, we need to look at the policy funds and, and uh, because... China probably may become a high risk, high return or a highly volatile market. Uh, first of all, I think uh, many problems are triggered by policies. So we are seeing um, 
depressions in the big tech names and mm-hmm. and any relaxations uh, towards that and actually would help the market a lot because uh, if you look at the rally um, in the Hong Kong market in this round actually they were hugely supported by uh, a few names only mm-hmm. so um, any change in in that direction actually would uh, would help a lot and then I think uh, probably we may still see supports uh, towards those um, consumer names on um, non-discretionary items because that probably may be the safest place uh, to play uh, in China right now. If you look at the MSCI China index and how it's performing um, compared to the rest of the world, it's quite interesting because the ratio is now um, right back where it was in 2008, which was really just before um, the market's uh, took off. But that was done on the basis that, you know, there was a huge export boom, there was a massive um, increase, uh, an infrastructure-led um, expansion, which clearly isn't going to be the case now. Do you think we can see the same sort of long-term performance that we saw back in 2008 when that ratio was last at this level? Uh, I think it's difficult because you need to have uh, the catalyst and the story to drive that. At the moment, I can't see one. Even if you have policy fixing, there will be quite a long time to get back the confidence of the overall markets. Uh, and I mean, international players, that's what this one I mean. I mean, you can engineer or support the market on periodic basis, but to drive a long-term momentum like this, you need some proper flow. And for that, you need a long-term story, which at the moment, China doesn't. Mm. So what would what would be the themes for next year, do you think, for, for investors into China? I think it's, it's you've got to trade this market and you have to play the policy reactions because that's effectively, you know, the the government and, and the public the public funds are driving the momentum. So you really have to, to follow themes and follow how the the, uh, the, the government wants to, uh, which sector he wants to, to, to support. So would it be better if, you know, we try and move a little bit more where the government tries to let market forces have a bigger say in what's going on? Because at the moment, all these policy announcements, there's been so many of them this year, haven't there? And they've, they've sort of really gone backwards and forwards. Have they, have they confused investors, do you think? Uh, I think, uh, yes. Uh, that's why I think China will always be trading at a discount now because uh, of the risk in policy changes. Uh, it hurts the market uh, initially and then they try to restore the confidence but I think it takes a long time so uh, that's why I think China would be trading at discount for quite some time How's um, how's it all going to be impacted by what the Fed does? We've seen the Fed minutes last week. They were sort of indicating that we might start to see a slowdown in the pace of, uh, of rate increases. First of all, do you believe that? Do you think that will be the case? I think they will adjust their, their key rate increase. I think we are seeing some signs of uh, stabilization on the inflation. No expectations take some time, so they will keep on rising. I'm not sure by how much, but these, mm. they will keep on the interest rates increase. Um, what is the actual level of equilibrium? I guess it's still a few, one, one and a half percent away still. I mean, we're still quite deep in negative interest rates. For for China, I think the real problem is more domestic at the moment. Obviously, the uh, interest rates increase is putting pressure on capital outflow, but I don't think that's the biggest issue at the moment. Do you think we are going to see the Fed now start to slow down as as inflation peaks? Yeah, because the the uh, the, the levels are stabilizing. You can see commodity prices are coming off, which was the most, the more the, the biggest driver at some point. So they have a bit more room to maneuver, mm. one way or the other. They can adjust on the rate of increase, and they can now even have the capacity to decrease if something really bad happens. I mean, it wasn't the case where it was at 0%.
Alex, final word to you. What, what's your thoughts about the US uh, market itself? I mean, it's been, despite the declines, it has been the major outperformer, hasn't it, this year? Yeah, I think uh, right now uh, is uh, becoming more polarized. Uh, people are quite concerned uh, on big tech, big big tech names and small tech things actually. So uh, we are seeing uh, interest towards the uh, traditional uh, blue chips only. So this is, I think, uh, not too healthy. But uh, I think uh, probably uh, funds probably will still be supporting those uh, traditional shares. So you have to be aware of the fund flows within the market. I think. Uh, the general market probably may not going be going uh, too high or too low, but I think uh, people probably would be concerned about the tech sector. Okay, thank you both very much. That's Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Sam Favre, who's Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. The time's 8.23. On the phone from Shanghai is Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Morning, Ben. Good morning. So, Ben, can you give us an update, first of all, on on what is happening um, in Shanghai? First of all, are there any lockdowns going on? And are there, secondly, any protests going on uh, against these lockdowns? Well, there there certainly are lockdowns going on, though at the present time they're still sort of restricted to specific residential compounds or sort of smaller areas within the city, Um, though the numbers seem to be growing by the day. I'm I'm currently locked down in in my building right now, certainly, Um, and that's maybe 40% of my compound is is currently closed. Um, There have been some protests recently in regards to the the fire that, that that happened in Xinjiang uh, a few days ago, and I, I think those protests are sort of continuing in one way or another. I know there are rumors of more protests that are supposed to be happening today. Um, it's unclear how much uh, room the government's going to give those protests to run, though so far it seems like they've been you know, fairly firm in trying to shut down dissent. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that things are going to get too far out of control, though it's, it's clear there's a lot of negative energy right now. And what do the protesters want to happen? What what do they want to the government to do? Well, I, I think the big challenge right now is that there's really no unified message. I, I think what we're seeing right now is a, you know, a little bit of a rallying cry around the, the, the death that happened in Xinjiang and, and people basically saying, you know, enough is enough as far as how much control has been put in place in regards to the COVID lockdowns. And I think what it really boils down to is people are really feeling a lot of fatigue now three years into this with, with no end in sight and no clarity. I, I think a lot of people were hoping that following the People's Congress that there would be some kind of indication that, that there would be easing the restrictions. And now that cases are going up, that's clearly not the case. So I'd say the, the overlying message is, you know, we want to get about our daily life. We want to be able to travel, at least domestically. We want to be able to go to work. Um, though you do have some, you know, small number of voices basically telling Xi Jinping that they'd like him to step down. We normally see, don't we, local protests on local issues. But can you give us a sense of, of how unusual it is to see these types of protests on a national scale on one particular issue, and particularly the criticism of the government? Yeah, it is quite unusual uh, to, to see something get to this sort of national scale. Usually it's one factory or one town or, you know, a small group of people that have a grievance that they'd like to air, uh, you know, that results in these sort of very localized protests. This time you have, I wouldn't call it totally coordinated, but you have groups across the country on university campuses in different cities 
you know, raising blank white paper to the sky, basically saying, you know, we're, we're protesting what's going on, even if we don't want to, you know, directly say what our problem is because we're worried about getting in too much trouble. So it, it really is a groundswell like China hasn't seen in, you know, decades. Mm. Um, so far, it's been quite peaceful, and so the, the response has been quite restrained as well. But I think it'll be quite interesting to see what happens in the next days or weeks, whether there is any kind of official government response or whether we do see even more heavy-handed lockdowns as a way to hopefully, from the government's perspective anyway, sort of stamp out some of the critique. Is it just about COVID or are there other issues involved in this? And I'm thinking, you know, things like the economy is slowing, isn't it? The property market is in a slump. Youth unemployment is almost 20%, one in five people um, under 24 without a job. Are these things also fueling the general sense of unhappiness in Shanghai and in the country as a whole? I mean, you know, COVID is sort of the the main instigator as far as what you know what people see impacting their daily life in terms of their ability to sort of act normally and get around. But I think it's you know it's all interrelated, and you know I, I think it would be very difficult for anybody right now to say that China's economy is particularly healthy, especially from the perspective of you know youth unemployment is a message, you know, the real estate sector, which has sort of been the bedrock wealth generator for for most families in China for the past two or three decades. So. I think people are very concerned about the economy right now. They feel like the COVID lockdowns are doing nothing to help that, and if anything, are really sort of just crushing small business and, and you know crushing employment opportunities. And so, I think that's why you see a lot of the anger because people feel like they're in this bad position. They've been in this position for three years, and so far there's no end in sight. Um, and that's really. It's, it's hurting their pocketbooks and it's hurting their quality of life. Uh, this We've seen recently some recent loosening, or the, the government saying they will loosen virus controls. We've seen these sweeping property rescue efforts. We've had the triple R cut uh, last week to try and support the economy. But does this sort of dramatic turn of events add now just new uncertainties to the outlook for the economic outlook for China? I think it's tremendously uncertain. You know, we, we had this sort of this multi-point plan to reduce COVID restrictions, but most of that was kind of lip service. At least, at least in Shanghai, um, the reality was that all they did was they stopped mass community-wide testing two or three times a week. But in practice, everybody had to do just as many tests as they were doing already anyway in order to get access to office buildings or get access to public spaces. So that didn't actually help anybody. It just sounded good. Um, I think with the real estate, there's still a tremendous amount of uncertainty because, um, you know, markets like Shanghai have, have held up relatively well, but, but a, a, a lot of less developed cities, towns, even with a lot of support for the real estate sector, the reality is people are seeing the, the value of their property decline quite significantly. So there's a lot of concern in the market right now. Ben, thanks very much indeed for that uh, update. That's Ben Cavender, who is Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let me give you an update on the markets for this morning. Uh, first of all, in uh, Australia, the SX200 is down about a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has fallen 0.6%. The Cosby in South Korea down over 1% now, shortly after the open. And it looks like there's going to be a big fall for the Hang Seng at the open of about 370 points when trading gets going. Before I go, just let me tell you about our charity annual charity auction in aid of Operation Santa Claus 2022. It's a 24-hour online auction that we're going to open during Thursday's Money Talk. There are lots of fabulous items donated by local companies and organisations that you can bid for. Uh, 
And all the money we raise will go to the 15 amazing charities that every day are helping the needy of Hong Kong. You can take a look right now at the items you can bid for when the auction opens at 8.25am on Thursday. And you can register in advance. And even if you don't want to bid for any of the items, you can still make a donation right now to Operation Santa Claus. We'll be very grateful if you do. You do that by either going to the Radio 3 homepage... That's www.rthk.hk forward slash Radio 3 or the Money Talk Facebook page. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Take a look now. We'll be adding more items right up until the open of the auction at 8.25 on Thursday morning. Let me give you an update. Uh, so it's coming up after the news. First of all, a back chat with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse this morning. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast. Mainly cloudy, a few rain patches. At first, mainly fine tomorrow. It's going to be rather warm during the day and then rather cool in the following couple of days. Temperature right now is 24 degrees, 96% relative humidity. Times 8.31. Here's Ben Che with a half-hour news. An economist says proposed hikes in public transport and electricity charges are outrageous, adding that the government has a responsibility to help. From January, electricity bills will be between 20 and 45 percent higher than a year earlier. Franchise bus firms are seeking a 10 to 20 percent fare hike, while a taxi trade association wants a $6 increase in flagfall for urban cabs. Andy Kwan, director of the ACE Center for Business and Economic Research, told RTHK that while fare hikes were expected, they were too high given the recession. If you really raise such a high increase in electricity price or even for the bus fares, they will increase the financial burden on the lower or middle-income households. You don't want to see that. So in this case, I think the government has the responsibility to find ways to lower such an increase. Or the government has to think about like a subsidy, some kind of public transportation subsidy, or some kind of subsidy on the electricity outlet. If you pay more on the basic outlet, and then basically out of discretionary consumption, we will also lower. That will hurt the overall performance of the economy. Overseas, a huge landslide on the Italian island of Ischia is now known to have killed seven people. About five people are still missing after homes and vehicles were buried by a torrent of mud on Saturday. Italy's government has declared a state of emergency and promised aid. Ischia is vulnerable to earthquakes and mudslides. Some residents like Salvatore Lorreni blame the authorities for failing to develop an adequate warning system. Something like this could have happened because it's a natural thing, but more attention should have been paid. Some sensors could have been installed in the mountain to warn that it was coming down. Now we have to try to restore everything like it was before, but without feeling sorry for ourselves and without waiting for outside help, because officials say they are helping, but I don't believe in their words. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about pressure from transport operators for substantial increases in fares. 
The bus companies have applied to uh, raise fares by as much as 20% amid higher operating costs and falling passenger numbers, with lawmakers suggesting the government extend fuel subsidies to lessen the increases. Urban taxi operators are also seeking a $6 rise in the flagfall, pointing to higher costs for insurance and fuel while the Star Ferry wants to double the amount that adult passengers have to pay, up to $8.40 per trip. Tram fares have already gone up by 15.4% this year. After 9.15, we'll be talking about the new uh, political setup in Malaysia. And at 9.25, we'll be joined by RTHK sports reporter Atom Chung with the latest on the Football World Cup. Let us know uh, what you think on uh, any of these topics. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us uh, now uh, on the line, we have uh, uh, Gary Jang, New Territories North lawmaker and Deputy Chairman of the Legislative Council's uh, Subcommittee on uh, Railway Affairs. And also Alok Jane, CEO and Managing Director at uh, Transconsult. Um, thank you both very much uh, for joining us. Perhaps uh, Gary Jang, 